I think it's on its way. I was involved with, with some of the planning from the city of Houston's climate action plan and, and saw the resiliency plan. And so, you know, from zero to having, I think, 12 to 20 incubators focusing in on, on startups, I think that's, you know, essentially what they've done is essentially taken something that the oil and gas companies had in their backyard and actually moving it up front and having more people access to it. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 127 of the program happening right now, and we're glad to have you on board as we wind down the month of May, another productive month of programs here at the Green Insider. And this week, we have Mr. Herman Ibanez, owner-founder of Ibanez Consulting, all things clean energy, energy tech, you name it. If it's been in the energy game in the last 40 years, I promise you, Mr. Ibanez has touched it, tasted it, felt it, and or been a part of it in some way, shape, or form. We're going to talk to him a little bit about his 40-year career, and then, of course, what he's doing right now in the energy space. But before we get to Mr. Ibanez's career, let's hear from our CEO. CEO and co-founder, Mr. Mike Niemer, telling you what it is we do here at eRenewable. At eRenewable, we know going green is important to your business and your ESG rating. Besides offering PPAs and VPPAs, through our network of clean energy professionals, we can also offer renewable natural gas, or let us help you lower your carbon footprint with responsibly sourced gas from a leading global energy provider. Maybe you need green energy credits, whether it's unbundled RECs or RSG certificates, your path to net zero and decarbonization is one step closer with the renewable. For more assistance, please call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. Be sure to go to our website, erenewable.com, for all things on the company. And then, of course, as always, follow us on our LinkedIn page, eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast, to follow all the content, latest, greatest updates of what's going on with the company and the podcast, as well as when you follow us on LinkedIn, you too can become a member of the Follower Friday series. We've got Mr. Patrick Rao coming up this Friday from Natural Gas Intelligence. We are looking forward to that. So you too, give us a follow, LinkedIn, be part of of the Follower Friday series, you will be glad that you did. All right, let's get right down to today's episode. Mr. Herman Ibanez talking all things energy and his 40-year-plus career. Uh, also getting into how his world travels has helped shape not only just his experience, but kind of his views on what's going on right now with the energy transition. He's going to talk a little about two of the companies he's working with right now, Infarel and Pathias. And finally, uh, as somebody who's been here in the city of Houston for 35-plus years, a little bit about why Houston is so vital to the energy transition. So without further ado, here is Mr. Herman Ibanez. My name is Herman Ibanez, and I am the president of Ibanez Consulting. Ibanez Consulting focuses on downstreet business development and governmental and regulatory affairs regarding environmental concerns. I have two companies that I'm repping right now, Pythias Analytics and Infrarail. My background has been uh, developing power plants for IPPs and equipment um, 
uh, makers and been able to uh, live in three countries and five states. I got my bachelor's degree from the University of Texas and my MBA from Thunderbird, and I have an MIT certificate for sustainable energy. With that focus on um, power generation, I've been able to travel to 12 different countries and 40 of the 50 states. I've been able to even model projects that in other developing countries, and that's about another 20 countries that I've been doing that. And my projects range from coal to natural gas, uranium, hydro, wind, solar, and batteries. You know, you and I have one thing in common. We both are past Enron employees. Uh, I was there from 89 to 95, and you were even there before I was. And you actually were going green back then, back in South America. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, essentially, I was one of the few people that said that that had been to every place Enron had uh, facilities in um, South America. I was an internal auditor when I started, but then I moved into... Uh, accounting and then did the first liquid tried to do the first liquids pipeline in Argentina and then um, worked with um, Enron International to do the first um, barge mounted uh, power plant in Puerto Quetzal, uh, Guatemala and I worked with um, Rick Lambers who was who's your friend and um, I've kept up with those guys uh, throughout my career so and Enron, uh, during that time, uh, Rebecca Marks had the, the power division, and she was trying to do projects, um, gas and projects uh, throughout the world. So she was doing Teesside at the time. The ball had just begun to start doing things in, in India and other places uh, throughout the world. That they were, We were trying to make natural gas be the alternative and really do some good things in trying to make sure that uh, countries were being as efficient as they could um, in terms of uh, uh, power generation and get away from coal and other things that they were doing otherwise. Let me ask you this, because, and and by the way, Viva Colombia, being able to travel to different parts of the world work in different parts of the world, work with folks from other parts of the world, work in 40 of the 50 states for, for the last, you know, 40-plus years. How has that helped shape your view on all things energy, whether it's green, brown, power generation, whatever it is? How has that shifted and shaped your view? I'm a bit of an opportunist, and so I, uh, I'm a bit of an opportunist, and so... You know, my background, getting my master's degree from Thunderbird, being able to use my languages, being culturally sensitive, uh, and actually doing my homework before to going in different countries helped me to be more cognizant and get things done in that, in that country. I'll take an example. I was working on a project with Alstrom trying to convert two um, two PC boilers to circling fluidized bed boilers in the Turoff region. And we got stuck in a um, negotiation for financing. They couldn't come up with all the financing they, that they did. And we kept on going round and round. And I was the low man on the totem pole. And I decided to speak up and said, hey, does it mean that you need some more help to find the financing? And that finally um, broke the logjam that we needed to do to get to the point where we found the right financing for that project. And that project actually was built and uh, and actually converted what it was considered a 
the black triangle uh, district of Poland into a cleaner um, power plant, and they eventually converted all the boilers to circulating food ice bed boilers. You've got two companies that you're dealing with right now that you've got relationships with, Infrarel and Pythias. Tell us a little bit about who they are, what they do, how the you know, collaboration came together, and then I've got another couple questions I was going to throw it to you, but I'll go ahead and let you get those out of the way first. Infrarel is a, a company that does inverter scanning, and essentially 90% of the problems with a, with a renewable plant has to do with uh, inverters um, not working the way they should. And so this, almost like an EKG, uh, for inverters and the difference between what is normally done and what these guys do is um, essentially um, the controller tells the operator that if the inverter is on and off but it doesn't tell you the health of that in inverter and now with with the algorithms that they have in the computer program in the scanner they actually run uh, data through and actually collect data on the health of that inverter. And, set, and you can say, okay, 90% of all your inverters are doing great. You've got two of them, two to four of them that have to be powered down a little bit so you can get more life of that in inverters. And then you have to replace these inverters. And it actually will tell you um, to a point where it says, okay, these are the parts that you need to replace on the ones that are having problems or you need to revert back. And this, the service happens every time that you go out and do your, own, your regular maintenance. And it's a, essentially a 10-minute um, uh, scan of each inverter throughout your, your process, uh, throughout your plant. And that's how you collect the data, and that's how you get the answer to the uh, to your um, your problems uh, with your inverters. And with all the you know investigation into the solar industry right now, which you know we don't know how long this thing's going to take and and what it could mean. I mean, we know it could have catastrophic in, uh, impacts on the solar industry. Is this where a service like Infrarel comes in? extremely important because it's like look we're looking at either investing in more solar panels which right now are a premium and that's at a premium versus you know what let's get a diagnostic check of what what we got and then maybe we can put this stuff out to where maybe hopefully by the time we are ready to you know re-up then the supply chain looks a lot different exactly so this really works well for solar farms that are you know seven years or older um, or when you're buying an existing plant that's had some service. So, so you can go in there, really diagnose wh where the problems are with the inverters and, and, fix, and, and at least know what kind of uh, upfront investment you want to do to try to optimize your plant upfront. The other time you can use this uh, technology is in the first year of operations, there are bugs that you need to find uh, with your inverter um, layout. And so you can use the scanner during that first year, optimize everything that you need to do, and then you're, you're, you're good for the, se you know, the seven years that you're under warranty, and then you can pick us up by, back up uh, after your warranties um, on your inverters go uh, end, and then you can, you can really identify what the problems are. And just real quick, Infinarel, they're based out of? California, but, California. Uh, but they're a Texas um, um, LLC. And, gotcha. um, and my so connection, yeah, uh, and my connection is, 
uh, all the principals that I'm working with are Thunderbird graduates, and so my grad school play a part in trying to, in, in making the relationship. If you had a nickel for every time you've heard, what's the word, Thunderbird, <laughs> do you think you'd be here right now, or would you be off on some uh, island of your own? No, I, 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 I know that uh, that comes up, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, actually, it's a it's an interesting school because it was started after um, 1946 for World War II people, uh, veterans coming back uh, that had gotten the flavor of Europe and um, the business community, and they focused on learning a language really well for business uh, contacts. And then the other person that uh, of uh, note, um, Jimmy Stewart, was actually involved with the plant as well. It used to be a, a training facility for pilots. Um, during World War II. Jimmy Stewart, the, the actor. actor. Oh, yeah. And Jimmy Stewart, the actor, actually be, uh, you know, retired from the, from the Air Force as a general because he was a, he was a, a pilot. And he, okay. fl- he, he flew many missions in Europe. So, I mean, he, and so I'm is, a that, big, uh, is that where the Thunderbirds came from, those airplanes, the Thunderbirds? Is that well, why they well, named that, it? As we I don't. I, I, I don't know, but actually, at one time, the configurations of the barracks and other things. Actually, if you had a balloon, you could actually see the Thunderbird in the 1940s and 50s before they reconfigured the the thing. So the 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 whole thing actually looked like a Thunderbird from from the air. And where, just for the folks that don't know, and of course, I mean, they could Google it, but let's just go ahead and save them the time. Where is Thunderbird at? Well, Thunderbird was in Glendale, um, Arizona, but now is now a part of it, ASU, and now has a new building downtown. Okay. Uh, and but uh, um, you know the the facility was there for almost fifty years. Let's talk a little bit about what Matthias is doing because again, if we, there's one thing we do know, data n- is not going anywhere. It's just going to continue to be a, a play a major part in all things uh, energy transition and just the world as a whole. A little bit about Matthias and how you uh, how you and them got. Together. 50s Analytics is a, a for-profit company that is a subsidiary of the Houston Advanced Research Center, and their focus is on, on identifying physical risks associated with climate change. And so what does that mean? So if you, if you have a plant and it's exposed to flood, hurricanes, uh, drought, localized storms, those are the types of risks. And so we can do it by, by plant, by where you're located, and then also we can do the whole portfolio. And we, we can um, give you a, a risk evaluation from one to 100, 100 being the best, and determine what kind of risks you're, you're exposed to. And then, and then they do scenario analysis to say, okay, well, let's say you have a natural gas combined cycle plant and you're exposed to air temperature, water temperature uh, issues, uh, and that's actually going to reduce your overall performance. We can go in and say, okay, what if you change your compressors to hybrids or air compressors? What's that going to do for your process, and what's that going to do your performance? And you've got a lot of things that are 
pushing you into um, making these kinds of assessments because you've got insurance companies saying that, hey, if you don't do anything to fight climate change, I'm not going to cover you. You've got the SEC uh, that just issued a, a, a pronouncement that saying, oh, now you've got to disclose your climate risk on your on your financial statements, and they're going into not only percentages, which is what, what most companies do, oh, we're reducing our emissions by 20%. They actually want you to put down how much, how much that is in tons. And so it's going to cost you a little bit of money to actually come up with the, the answers that the SEC wants you to do. You've got investors with the ESG focus on and saying, okay, you've got exposure to to these things, you know, coal plants, you, you can't build a coal plant in the United States anymore, if not uh, throughout the world, um, because of emissions issues. And so you really have to go into and in, in, in really focus on what kind of power plants you're going to do and what kind of things you're going to do to try to, with the existing assets, how to elongate the value of that assets by knowing what, what, how climate is going to affect you. So you have a plant come to you and they want to have this climate analytics process done. Mm -hmm. What does that plant have to provide your company to be able to come up with that report that you're talking about? All right. Uh, so essentially you have to give me your coordinates on where your plant is. Longitude, latitude, is that what yeah, you're talking about? Yeah, okay. GIS is what, they're, what, what, what they, they call it. And essentially, we talk to the operations folks to say, okay, so what have you done to try to do affect climate change? You know, we recently here in, in Texas, uh, because of winter storm Uri, we actually had uh, ERCOT forced everybody to, get, uh, to provide uh, um, emergency planning uh, to keep the pro the power plant running, and so that had to do with uh, anything from um, keeping the pipes warm uh, for the natural gas plants to come into the to to the plants, to what they do to um, uh, mitigate any kind of issues with freezing, um, and in terms of um, even the the southwest. South Texas project had a problem with uh, one of their pumps freezing, and that's why one of the power the reactors went down during during winter storm Uri. So they have all these plans, and so essentially now um, Pythias will actually analyze which which of the the six major things that you have uh, are going to affect you and how it's going to affect you. So if you are focused on if you have water as a component of your process, air temperature, water temperatures are, are going to reduce your, your, um, your, your performance. If it's too hot or, or the water's too hot, you may not be able to discharge that water after you go through your system into, back into the river. So now you've got to do something. That means that you have to reduce your capacity to uh, go into the grid to, to service your, your clients. And so those are the types of things that uh, Pythias does that none, none of the other competitors do in terms of the scenario analysis and also the proactive decision making um, compared to the other ones. They identify the issues, but they don't really go for the next step further. Okay, so back to my original question. So they give you the longitude and latitude, the location of the facility. Mm -hmm. 
you guys then come in and ask them more questions about what they're doing to offset their carbon offset and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. After you do that due diligence, then you run your analytics and you use your data model that you have in place and through artificial intelligence, then you come up with your plan. Is that correct? Correct. Essentially, they u we're using um, data systems like CMIP6 GCAMs and Mo Mozart to do most of the work that we're doing. And these are uh, climate change um, uh, databases that everybody has access to, but our five uh, uh, PhDs uh, have been able to come up with their logarithm uh, to analyze that information and focus in on the issues that have to do with, with power generation plants and distribution and, and transmission substations and come up with the, the right, the way to analyze this, the right way to come up with the answers that you need to be, to reduce the impairment issues that you may have and then make decisions to elongate the life of that asset. What do you like about being able, at this stage of your career, been having done this now for 25, 30 years, you know, being able to represent two different companies? And, of course, like I said, you've got your own consulting company as well, so I know you've got your hand in a little bit of everything. Um, a, what, you know, have you always, has, has this always been kind of the end goal, and what are the benefits to being able to have this kind of versatility? All right, so I've always, you know, looked at um, – project finance work or project development work as essentially you're starting from the idea to get to the to notice to proceed. And so you are an in-house entrepreneur. And so I like to be able to use everything I know about tax, construction, um, contracts, legal, um, and operations and maintenance. And I can add that all those things, even languages, essentially add all this input that I have that I've collected through my experience and focusing in on, on startups and other people that have problems that need to be solved. And so, you know, that's, that's what attracts me because I'm being able to use everything that I know to help solve a problem. Do you worry then when, when, you know, when companies say to you, well, hey, I see you're representing Infineril, I see you're representing Pythias, how do I know you're going to put my product top of mind? How do I know you're not, my, my stuff's not going to get lost in the shuffle with you? Well, essentially, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to overload myself uh, enough that I'm going to sacrifice my reputation and your relationship with me by oversubscribing my time. I'm really going to focus in on what are your problems, what are the solutions, and essentially help you get to the, the solution that you want. You know, I've, I've helped with, with a company that was uh, a, a paralysis uh, company that was trying to take uh, almond shells and convert them into, you know, a couple of, um, you know, a full of uh, soil additive and generate electricity and other stuff. And, you know, I helped them try to find $20 million, but it didn't get anywhere because essentially they didn't have a, a demonstrated plant. And that's what the stuff was. But essentially, you know, I really knew who to, who to contact. I mean, Thunderbird came up again. You know, one of the guys that I w was uh, involved with was a, a guy who does initial VC-type financing, and that's what—and he gave him a lot of good information— 
that he needed to really process, and we we reflected that in the in the in the project description. I helped him um, put a project description uh, memo together and other things that at times he didn't want to hear, but we really needed to hear it to get to the point where he needed to get more letters of intent. He needed to get more more revenue security before people would start investing. And even though that was a that that project didn't go anywhere, I learned a lot about, you know, my instincts are right. If you're talking to a startup, the first thing you need to talk to them about is letters of intent. How do they secure the revenue side of the uh, of their their process? And then after that, describing the project well. A lot of people, you know, though I know paper is the bad thing, but putting all this stuff in a report it has saved my butt more times than not in, in, in this work. Because essentially, you have something to point to, you have something that is real, and you can show the deliverable for these startups. And sometimes they don't think that way. They think, oh, I'll show them an app and that's that's going to do it and that's not going to do it. They need to show you need to show something tangible that they can sell upstream to the people that they need to convince to invest in your company or to to invest to use your your um, your service. And so that's important and I think that that's one of the things that my in-house entrepreneur all the work that I've done uh, with with uh, project development has done more times than not, that's what's what differentiates me from other people. Is I think like an investor and a and a buyer of that service. All right, we'll start winding this thing down. Um, we had a chance to meet you at the uh, Renewable Energy Alliance Houston. You know, uh, Houston as a hub for the energy transition, workforce, you know, work marketplace of ideas. You know, Mike and I have been talking about this for the last 123 plus episodes. You're, you've been in the, uh, how long have you been in Houston, all told, off and on? 37 years. 37 years. So obviously you and Mike are, are very similar in that vein. A lot of time here in H-Town. So you've seen the maturation of Houston from obviously an oil and gas town to where we are right now as a hub for the energy transition. And again, it's, it's no stranger to, again, two gentlemen like yourselves. How vital is Houston? And from what you've seen, whether through networking, whether through just working, where is Houston right now as it as it positions itself as going from the you know energy capital of the world to the energy transition capital of the world? I think it's on its way. I was involved with with some of the planning from the city of Houston's climate action plan and, and saw the resiliency plan. And so, you know, from zero to having I think twelve to twenty incubators focusing in on on startups i think that's you know essentially what they've done is essentially taken something that the oil and gas companies had in their backyard and actually moving it up front and having more people access to it i think that you know their focus on hydrogen i think that that's that's coming along um, and I think that more people are doing that, uh, green hydrogen, all this stuff. And since we have the largest uh, wind capacity of all the states and we're coming up in second in, in solar, we have the, the, the capacity to do green hydrogen in Texas or, and, and manage it out of Houston. 
I've been actually called to help out with some of the data mining processes because of because China is becoming a place not to be able to do that kind of dis- business because of of some of the political things. Now data mining is coming to Texas because we have the lowest electricity prices throughout the United States. So that's coming along. And carbon capture, you know, I've actually gotten a call on carbon capture and and using Q45 to help finance the projects. I think that's going to help. And, you know, Exxon and Chevron now saying that they're going to work together to do the carbon capture and actually reuse, shut down wells to bury the, the carbon. I think that we have the capabilities. We just need to have some more government help and a market because I don't think right now, you know, besides the tax credits, we're not we don't have a revenue a revenue side for just burying the carbon. You know, we use it to enhance oil recovery and those those that's the revenue side of things. But you know, are we going to be able to pump? You know, once we bury it in in the Gulf Coast, are we going to be able to pump it back and do it use it? When we need um, enhanced oil recovery, I haven't figured that out, and I don't. I'm. I don't know what these guys are thinking either. So, but we need to have more on the revenue side for carbon capture to make sense all the way. We know what you got going on with Infinerel. We know what you got going on with Pythias. Give us a little snippet there, just uh, kind of what you're seeing moving and shaking here in H-Town. What does Herman Ibanez have on the docket for Ibanez Consulting for the rest of 2022? One of the things I do is I help with uh, governmental affairs, and so I've been monitoring what's going on in New York and California. You've got uh, off, off, offshore um, uh, wind projects that are coming up um, and actually being permitted to actually start building now, and so I think that offshore wind is is coming around. I don't think it's going to be offshore wind in Texas for a while because of the same reason that, that uh, people are coming here. For, we have the lowest electricity prices throughout the United States. And so um, that's one thing. One of the things that I brought a book on is maybe thinking about what um, Skelly is doing is in, in putting larger transmission uh, projects, um, connecting where the wind resources are uh, to the other parts of, of the United States. I think that's could be on the cusp of doing things uh, the right way. And we heard about that at the, at the real conference as well. So I think that people here are really doing the things that we need to do here in Houston that we need to do to make our, our lives and our climate better for the rest of the world. And we can influence what, what they're doing because they, all of them have an office here in Houston, and so that's why I think that we are we can evolve change and innovation in such a way that we can help the world. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Abanez. Don't forget, you can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and of course on our website, eRenewable.com. We mentioned already, be sure to check out the Follower Friday this Friday with Mr. Patrick Rao from Natural Gas Intelligence. You will be looking forward to that. Great stuff from him on all things gas prices across the world. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on what's going on right now with Ukraine and Russia and kind of how that's affecting. We know kind of how that's affecting. Are we going to see any relief anytime soon? 
stick around for Friday. You will be glad that you did. As always, shout out to the entire E-Renewable team and Mike, Roger, Al, all the audience, all the guests. Without you guys doing what you do, we couldn't do what we do. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by E-Renewable. We make going green easier. Yeah, yeah.